Well, as Adam said, we're going to do things a little bit out of order this morning. So we are not done singing. So uh, don't uh, think that's all we get when um, Greg is not here. Just one song. There'll be more song at the end. But I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1. I am very grateful for Adam and Austin and uh, Corey and Jenna and Courtney for being willing to lead in that way right now. Um, Greg Ohl's father, who has been a longtime minister um, in the church, he is receiving a very prestigious award this morning for his service to the church. And so as he is receiving that award, his family is with him to honor and to celebrate this achievement in their life. So they are not with us, but so I am grateful for those that um, step in and serve in that capacity. So Jonah, chapter one, hopefully when you came in, you got a bulletin on the back of that. There'll be some notes if you want to reference that during our time together in the Word. So Jonah, chapter one, we're going to pick up where we left off last Sunday. We are talking about Jonah, introducing ourselves to the life of Jonah last Sunday, and we're going to pick up right where we left off. But let me first start off by telling you about a company. It was 1989, and there were four men that came together, a guy by the name of two brothers, Mark and Brian Simo, a guy by the name of Boris Said, who was also a driver in NASCAR. Then there was another man by the name of Marty Motes. And these four men came together in 1989, and they decided to start a company. It started off as just a two-phrase name of a company. It became an apparel line. They later broke into the beverage sales. They had their own energy drink. They had their slogan plastered all throughout the United States, and their company, and especially their slogan, gained a lot of notoriety in the late 90s, um, and then even in the early 2000s. The name of the company was called No Fear. And you would see, especially if you're somebody like me, I'm 41, so I grew up in the late 90s, and it seemed like in the late 90s that, that slogan, no fear, was in everywhere. You would see it on stickers, you would see it on graphics, you would see it on people's apparel, you would see it on the back windows of vehicles, you would see it on the front windows of vehicles. It was kind of this terminology, this idea of no fear. And so you saw this in the sports world, they saw it in logos, beverages, clothing apparel, all that stuff, and what it was doing was, it was trying to influence a culture. And the idea was, is that we are a culture that we are not scared of anything. We're not worried. We, we have no phobias. We have no fears. We will just take the risk. We will attempt the craziness. We are fearless as a group of people. And so you would see these individuals, they had have this, 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 uh, this phrase on them that meant no fear. And you just assume they would do anything at any time for any reason. Now the sayings have kind of continued on. Now you'll hear somebody use the phrase send it or they'll use full send and they're talking. This is the same sentiment there. This idea, this culture that we are not fearful of anything. Now there's some virtue in having a bravery or bravado. There's some virtue in having the idea that I am willing to try anything for the sake of the kingdom. But the Bible never gives us an indication that being fearless when it comes to God is a positive thing. In fact, you're in Jonah chapter 1. I'm going to read into your hearing what it says in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25. The Bible says, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The Bible teaches us that it's not the fear of man that we should desire. It is the fear of God. 
Let me read for you again in Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 14. It says, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And yet we are in a day and age that both the church and a culture is marked by fearlessness towards God. And we are living in a society of people that do not demonstrate or manifest a fear of God in their daily lives. And when we get to the point in our daily lives that we both celebrate and we emphasize a lack of fear to God, then we have become a society and are quickly becoming a people that are not marked by godliness, but are marked by sinfulness. And here in Jonah chapter one, I want you to see with me the dangers of becoming fearless. Or as I put it there in your notes, I want you to see with me some signs that we see through the life of Jonah of fearlessness. Because what I want to ask you this morning and I want, what I want you to ask yourself this morning is your life marked by a fear of God or by the lack of fear of God? You see, when I was 18, 19, 20 years old and that no fear slogan was everywhere, I thought to myself, absolutely, I am invincible. I can't, there's nothing I cannot do and I have that no fear and I think I'm just gonna do whatever I wanna do, however I wanna do it, whenever I wanna do it because I don't have any fear. I don't have any fear of the consequences. I don't have any fear of the results. I don't have any fear of the, the, the uh, accountability. I am just going to do it. And in our spiritual lives, we have far too many believers that are living either with more fear of man than they do of the Lord or they're living a life that doesn't demonstrate a fear of God. So I use the English Standard Version translation of the Bible. So here in my copy of God's Word, um, this passage, chapter 1 and verse 4, all the way down through verse 16, it's broke up in three different paragraphs. So that's the way that we're going to attach it, or we're, we're going to attack it this morning. Because of the genre of Scripture being a narrative, it's told more like a story. So we're just going to follow this storyline and look to the signs that we get of the fearlessness of Jonah. So if you think we were where we left off last Sunday, Jonah um, was sitting there and he gets a word from the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah and says, all right, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to go to Nineveh and I want you to cry out to the city. In other words, I want you to go tell the city that there is a God, they have sinned against the God and judgment is coming. It tells us in the first three verses that Jonah gets that word from the Lord and goes, yeah, I heard you. That's not what I had in mind. So instead of going towards Nineveh, up to the northeast of modern-day Israel, Jonah decides, I'm going in the complete opposite direction. So he goes down to Joppa, gets on a boat headed to Tarshish, which people assume is in the western Mediterranean. It's pretty much on the far western side of the known world, as far away from Jerusalem and Israel as Nineveh is to the eastern side. So Jonah decides... <coughs> Then I'm going to run from God. I'm going to get as far away from God as possible. So he goes, he pays the fare, and he gets on the boat to get away from the presence of the Lord. Verse 4. But, but the Lord. He hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid. 
And each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid da- laying down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I want you to consider with me the first sign of fearlessness in the life of Jonah. And that was that he had become desensitized to danger. I was trying to think about a better word that maybe encapsulates this idea of being desensitized to danger, but the idea that what we are being shown here in this text is that Jonah had become to the point that he was not aware of exactly the danger that was going on around him. Part of the danger when you go back to biblical times and they think about the case of leprosy. Part of the reason leprosy was so dangerous is, is it killed off the nerve ends. It made you desensitized to the pain and to the things that were going on in the flesh. And so people with leprosy would then get illnesses, sicknesses, infections, but because their nerves were so dulled to it, they never knew it and they would cause themselves more harm. In modern days, you might think of neuropathy. The idea that you can't feel things, that you become so uh, calloused or so insensitive, desensitized, if you will, that you don't recognize the danger around you. Well, Jonah, Jonah said, I'm not going to do what God called me to do. I'm not going to do what God told me to do. So I'm going to take off and I'm going to go to Joppa. He gets there in the boat and he says, as he is down inside the boat. Now you will hear preachers and they will start to try to say, well, this was the size of the ship and this is the floor plan of the ship. And this is how all this worked. I don't know. I can just tell you what it says in the text. What it says in the text is the boat was obviously big enough, the ship is obviously big enough, had cargo, had a, had a berth or some place for him to get down into, and he went down and he got inside of the ship and it said that while he was down in the ship, what happened? A great wind came upon the sea, verse four, a mighty tempest on the sea, so the ship threatened to break up. And yet, Jonah was asleep. The storm you see there in your notes, the storm was raging outside and yet Jonah was asleep inside. Now I know some of you in the room this morning, you've had a lot of experience being on boats, being out in the ocean, seeing the waves and all that kind of stuff. I have no frame of reference for that. So when I read the text like this, I try to think about what, how I can relate to this. And this is how I think about it. I've been on enough plane rides, commercial plane rides, and you're sitting there and you get on this plane ride and all of a sudden the captain comes across the intercom and he says, oh, oh well, people, we're going to experience a little bit of turbulence, so just be prepared. And that turbulence hit and it seems like when you watch everybody on the plane, everybody has a different reaction. Some people just sit there and close their eyes and they just grip the chair and they just think, it's just, just wait for it to be over, just wait for it to be over. And then and there's some people that are like, oh, I fly every day, this isn't no big deal. And they're just chilled as can be. There's some people that try to ignore it like it's not happening. Some people try to go to sleep. Me, what do I do? I watch the crew. I'm watching that flight attendant. And that flight attendant is moving around as long as they're smiling, as long as they're happy. I'm not that concerned about it. But I have been on a flight or two that that flight attendant was setting down, was strapped in because the captain said so. And we hit a few bumps and I saw that flight attendant kind of give that <laughs> kind of give that look. And I'm thinking to myself, now I am concerned. This professional does it every day for a living. If they are worried, I should be worried. 
Well, why, Spence, does that apply to here? Well, you think about what happens in verse 5. It says, then the mariners were afraid. So the storm comes up. Jonah is down inside the boat. He is asleep inside the boat. The storm comes. It becomes such a tempestuous storm that the mariners, the professionals, the sailors, the guys that do this for a living, they are scared. They think at any moment the boat might break. You see the your notes. Not only was the storm raging outside, but the pagans, the pagans were afraid. Now I'm going to use that word pagans. It's somebody that doesn't believe in God. It's somebody that believes in a different God. And these pagans, they were scared. Jonah, who is not a sailor, he is not a professional, he is down in the boat asleep. But the sailors, the professionals, they're on the outside. They see the danger of the storm. They see what could happen and they were scared. So what does it say there? In verse 6. So the captain comes. He has to wake up Jonah. I think that is so cool when he comes down and he has to wake up Jonah and say, Jonah, there's a storm. We're concerned. We're scared. Are you not paying attention? I put there in your notes that while the pagans were afraid, Jonah was oblivious. Now we know there is a physical lesson, a physical storyline that is going on right here. But I also think there's a spiritual principle for us today. Sometimes when it becomes a lack of fear for God, we become desensitized in God's word. We become desensitized in God's standards. We become desensitized in right from wrong. And we become desensitized to the effect of the world around us. And while there's a storm raging outside these walls of this church, or why there is a storm raging outside of the walls of your home, or why there's a storm raging outside right now in this culture and in this society and in the people around us, so many times we as Christians can play oblivious. I'm going to tell you right now, brothers and sisters, this world is in a heightened and advanced state of moral decay. It is moral debauchery all the way around us. And we have a group of people that are trying to manipulate God's truth. No way am I trying to be disrespectful or dishonorable. But I listened to the president of these United States give his address Friday morning in response to the Supreme Court decision. And he said godless things, false things, misleading things, and untrue things. And we can set all we want to back in the back and we can just say, oh, well, it's not our problem. It's not our thing. It's not our issue. And brothers and sisters, we can be desensitized to the danger around us. Why do I think it's a danger? Because you have a culture that is influencing you and I. There is a culture that is influencing our children. There is a culture that is influencing the church and the people in which we grow and we live and we do life with. There is a danger all the time around us called sin, called fallenness. And brothers and sisters, I'm not saying that we need to, I'm not saying that we need to say, well, I'm going to be a hermit and I'm going to take myself out, but be careful when we become desensitized to the danger around us. Jonah had gotten to the point, his lack of fear for God left him desensitized to the danger that he was facing of God. And when we become so fearless in the fact that we can hear people take the name of our God in vain, we, we can hear people say things that aren't true about God, we can hear people say and make statements that obviously are not from God, and you and I can feel nothing, you and I can feel neutral. Some of us in this room 
would be more animated and irate if somebody said something negative about our family. But when they say about our God, we barely blink an eye. He says there's a desensitization, desensitized to the danger. Jonah is down on the ship. The captain comes and gets to Jonah and says, are you not concerned? Are you not bothered? Do you not realize what is happening? So then it goes on in verse seven. And they said to one another, so this is all the mariners, this is all the professional sailors. They said to one another, come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has it come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Not only does Jonas give us an example and a a sign of the idea of what it's like to be desensitized to danger, but then Jonah also gives us an example of what it means to utter godless speech. What it means to utter godless speech. Let me explain to you where I get this from. As he comes up on board, I can just imagine the scene. The captain comes down. He wakes up Jonah and says, you need to get up here. We've got problems. Come on up board. Jonah gets up on board. The, the, the storm is going all around. The boat is being, uh, being uh, tossed from one place to another. And the pagans, the godless sailors look around and say, whose fault is this. So what do they do? It tells us in the text, verse seven and verse eight, they took lots and it's like drawing straws or maybe like uh, uh, rolling dice. It was some way that they would have an idea of determining of who was at fault. So Jonah drew the short straw. And so they looked at Jonah and said, you know what? It's your fault. Tell us what is going on. It's humorous that even in this time, pagans have explanations. Even in that time, they had a way of trying to explain what was going on around them. So you have people today, and they will try to say, well, where did we come from? Well, we came from monkeys. Well, how did we get there? Well, we came through evolution. Well, how is this situation happening? Well, this situation is happening, and they bring all this scientific mumble-jumble to try to explain what is going on because they don't want to turn to God. The pagans are here, and they think, you know, the problem must not be God. The problem must not be sin. The problem must be man. And as long as man is the problem, the man is the solution. So here in this text, the mariners, they look at Jonah and they say, Jonah, who are you? What are you? Where do you come from? What is going on? And listen to verse nine. Jonah said, I am a Hebrew. I fear the Lord God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. We have a lot of people in the church today that don't attend church regularly or faithfully because of the hypocrisy they find in the church. We have people today that aren't in church that used to be in church because they're not in church anymore. And if you ask them for an explanation or an understanding, they will tell you it's because of the hypocrisy they saw in the church and the judgmentalness and the legalism in the church. And that's why they're not in the church anymore. You will come into contact with people that have no experience or background in the church, but just have heard of the stereotype and the reputation. And they'll say, the reason why I don't go to church is because that place is full of condemnation, judgment, and hypocritical people. And you start to ask yourself the question, well, where do they get all that from? They get it from believers in Christ that say one thing with their mouth 
and do something else with their lives. So what does Jonah do here in this text? Jonah looks at him, says, I am a Hebrew. I am a follower of God. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven. And then you look down in verse 10, it says, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So even though Jonah knew who God was, you see there in your notes, Jonah's words and actions don't match. When you find ourselves, you and I find ourselves in a place in life that we are saying one thing on Sunday morning and we're living something else on Monday afternoon. We're not living a God-feared life. We're living a Godless life. Or when you and I find ourselves living in the ebb and flow of daily life and we will say one thing when we're around other believers, we'll say one thing when we think that other Christians are listening and yet when in our private times or in our other group of people we will say different things, what people hear from us is that we really do not fear God. I find it incredibly telling here in this passage that the the pagans feared God more than Jonah that they feared God more than Jonah. In verse 10, it says, then the men, and he's talking about the sailors, talking about the mariners, they were exceedingly afraid. They are sitting here and they are scared at one moment because they realize there's a storm. They're scared because the boat might break up. They had already gotten rid of all the cargo. They're trying to figure out what is the cause? What is the reason for all of this? They narrow it down to Jonah. Jonah says, I am a follower of God. I am a Hebrew. And now they're even more scared because they realize that now God is against them. And yet, and yet in our day and age, we become more fearful about the opinion of man than we do the opinion of God. We as a church get to the point we're more more concerned about the pleasure of man than the pleasure of God. Even on a Sunday morning, we can get more consumed with the presence of man than the presence of God. So you hear things, and and I think there's a well-intention, and I think they have the right heart. They're just misinformed. They will come together. And they will say things like, oh, God, just fill this sanctuary up with people. But they'll never say, God, fill this place with your spirit. They'll say, oh God, give us, give us opportunities to serve, but they won't ever tell, they won't ever say, God, put in my heart, put in my heart what you want me to do to serve. And they will pray for good things, but they will not pray for the God things. Jonah is sitting here in this text, and when they are looking around trying to understand what is going on, Jonah says, well, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord. But Jonah did not fear God the way the pagans feared God. And I think about where we're living at today and in our times, and there are so many godless movements, godless ideologies, all of these people out there that are committed and they're vocal and they are promoting their, their thoughts and their agendas and what they think is right. And yet too many times we as Christians and more so we as believers are silent. And yet we say we serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is with me no matter what men may say. We say that we serve a God that created us. We say that we serve a God that is omnipotent, all-powerful, unchanging. We say that we serve that God, and yet so many times we shirk back, shrink back from the opportunity to be bold and to speak for him.
The world does not respect us when we say one thing with our mouth and do something else with our hands. So Jonah, he gives us an example. He gives us an example of what it looks like to be fearless from God, to have this fearlessness, fearlessness when it comes to God. Not only was he desensitized to the danger, but then his speech had become godless. And then notice this next one there in verse 11. So they said to him, so as the story goes on, he's there on top of, you can just imagine, he's on the top of the ship, he's on the deck, and he's looking at the mariners, and they're like, you know, why are you the cause of what's going on? He says, because I'm a Hebrew, I'm God, and because I'm running from God, and because I'm not pleasing God, and because now God is upset and angry with me, this is why all this is happening. So they look at Jonah. And they said, so what should we do? He says there in the text, verse 11, and they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? I think that's an incredible phrase right there in terms of a question. They didn't say, well, it's your fault. You've got to go. They didn't say, well, you know what? You're the problem. We're going to stuff you in some barrel, throw you overboard. They didn't say you're the problem. It wasn't even their idea to throw him overboard. They said, what do we have to do to you? They recognized that he was a point of connection with God. So they said, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? For us, the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. There's a third sign that Jonah gives us here in this text. And that is of an unrepentant heart. An unrepentant heart. You want to think about signs of fearlessness both in your life and the life of the people that you love. Not only do they become desensitized to the danger around them, they become godless in their speech and their conduct, but then they have an unrepentant heart. So the storm is going all around them. The sailors are concerned. They're scared for their lives. They're scared for the safety of their ship. They're scared for the safety of their comrades. And they look at Jonah and say, Jonah, you had just admitted that this is God casting out his wrath upon you. You have just admitted who is the source of this travail. Jonah, what must we do? Did Jonah say, I'm going to pray? Did Jonah say that he is going to repent? Did Jonah say that he was going to lead them in a song and a Bible study? Did he say that he was going to offer up himself to God? No, what Jonah said was, throw me overboard and it'll all turn out okay. I don't know about you. But I find myself as being very good at being stubborn. Very, very good at being stubborn. I'm, I'm trying to learn from Evan because he's kind of my role model and what it looks like to be stubborn, but it's one of those things that I can, I can just find myself being stubborn and being to the point that I've made my decision, I have set myself, I'm gonna do this no matter what. The problem sometimes with stubbornness is that sometimes stubbornness leads to sin. <clears throat> We start to think that it's my way and I know better and I know what I should do and I can get so stubborn in my life that it can lead to sin. Jonah decides, Jonah decides, I'm not doing what God said to do. I'm gonna do what I wanna do. I'm gonna go where I wanna go. I wanna live how I wanna live. I'm gonna do it my way. And because he becomes stubborn, then he's in the middle of the boat. Then God brings a storm. Then the people realize what he's doing. Now he's confessed, yes, I am a Hebrew. Yes, I do claim to fear God. No, I'm not where God wants me to be. Yes, this is God bringing out judgment upon me. Yes, I know this is all because of me. And instead of saying, I have sinned, God, forgive me. He decides to stay stubborn. 
I don't think I'm the only knucklehead in the room. I don't think I'm the only person in this room that you know that God has put things on your heart in the past and you just decided, you know, I'm just going to wake God out. Charles Davis said something this morning in Sunday school. He asked a question, and of course the questions always seem like they trail off because nobody wants to talk originally in Sunday school. And Charles Davis asked a question, and he just looks at everybody and says, I'll wait, I'm patient. I can just imagine God looking at you and I and saying, this is what I want you to do. And as soon as you and I are like, mm, 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 God says, I got time. I got time. I can wait. But you know, in our, in our carnality and in our flesh, fleshliness, in our sinfulness, you and I start to become so stubborn that we fail to realize when that stubbornness becomes sin. And we fail to recognize that sin as being something that divides our relationship and our fellowship to God. So we become stubborn. That stubbornness leads to sin. Then that sin hardens the heart. That is what sin does. It hardens our heart. You put one sin on, you put another sin on, another sin, another sin, another sin, and next thing you know, it's like a callus. It starts to form, and it starts to cause us to be desensitized. It starts to give us the point where we just continue on down that path, and we think, I'm just going to keep throwing sin on it. That will be the answer. And yet, here in the life of Jonah, Jonah says... Jonah tells him, hey, throw me overboard, it'll be fine. He never repents, he never comes to himself, he never says this is from God, I should apologize or repent before God. Jonah never says that. And then, and then if the story continues to be a little bit weird, in verse 13, it says, nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. The idea, the picture here is Jonah looks at the sea, the, the, the professionals and said, throw me overboard, and if you throw me overboard, it will get better. And they're like, no, we're not gonna do that, Jonah, because we know if we do that, you're gonna die. There is no Coast Guard. There is no life raft. There is no beacon that activates when he hits the water. There is no life ring that throws out. You're in the middle of the sea. No one's around. You go in this water. You are going to die. And yet Jonah, as, as much disregard as he had for himself because of the hardness and the desensitization of the sin, the people were willing to sit there and to make every effort they could to try to get back to land. And I pictured in my mind, my sanctified imagination, I imagine Jonah sitting there on the deck of that ship. And we don't know exactly how many sailors there were. We don't know how many mariners there were, but these men that are standing around him, that are struggling, that are working, that are sacrificing in fear and in ignorance, they are striving to try to row to get the boat back to the land. And instead of Jonah seeing and having compassion on them, and instead of Jonah looking and saying, I should pray to God, and instead of Jonah having any kind of care for these lost men that are trying to sacrifice their lives for the safety of Jonah, Jonah just sits there and watches them row and row against the will and the plan of God. As I've been thinking about this text this week, I've wondered to myself, how many lost people are in my circle of life today that I watch them trying and trying 
and trying to find success and happiness and peace in this world. Instead of me, instead of me repenting of my sin of apathy, instead of me repenting of my sin of indifference, instead of me repenting of my sin of lack of care or concern for the lost people around me, I sat there and I watched people row through the course and through the series of life and I feel nothing. Jonah is watching these men, verse 13. They're watching, he's watching these men tread water, figuratively speaking, in life. And it didn't bother him. How could we stand before God one day and not give an account for our lack of care for the lost people around us? How could we stand before God one day in his righteousness and holiness and him not ask us about our indifference when it came to our community and to the people that we never knew where they stood with when it came to the Lord? Jonah is there. Verse 13, the men are rowing. They're trying to get back to land. They're not going to get back to land because it wasn't God's will for them to get back to land. This all, God has a plan for all of this. And the stubbornness of Jonah had led to sin. The sin led to a hardness, hardness of heart. So in verse 14, they finally said, it's no use. Jonah said, throw him in the water. So what do they do? Therefore, they called out to the Lord. I'm in verse 14. They called out to the Lord. Oh Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So what is the, how is the story then unfolding? Well, the figure, the uh, spotlight on the story is on Jonah. Now what happened was, after they threw Jonah in the water, the, the scene, the, the storm quieted down. The real people realized that, yeah, we know who God is, and they said they sacrificed and made vows. But can you just imagine the attitude of Jonah? He is sitting there in his hardness of heart. He is sitting there in his sin. He is sitting there in his stubbornness. He's watching them rowing, knowing it's not going to make any difference. They get done. The storm is still going on, and they pick Jonah up, and they go to throw him overboard. And can you just imagine in his mind what may have gone through his head? Wait, 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 guys. Wait, 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 guys. Let me pray. Wait, wait, guys. Let me, let me, let me ask God if we can do this a different way. Maybe, 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 maybe I should sacrifice to God and make a vow. And in my sanctified imagination, they grub Jonah up and they throw him into the water. Now, you and I know what happens next because we have the benefit of God's word. But in reality, Jonah didn't know what was going to happen next. Well, you, he might have spent. You don't know that. If Jonah knew what was going to happen next, he would have just gone up and got, went to Nineveh the very first time. So Jonah didn't know what was going to happen next. So they come and they grab Jonah and they throw him overboard. And you're looking at me going, well, what does that matter, Spence? I want, I want to try to drive this home to you this morning that a hard heart leads to destruction. A hard heart leads to destruction. He had an unrepentant 
heart. He was not willing to yield to God's authority over his life. He was not willing to submit to God's word over his life. He was not willing to turn when he was convicted and, and reminded of the sin in his life to the point that he was willing to die instead of turning to the Lord. And I wish that I had the words to try to plead with you this morning. And to express to you this morning how desperately I hope that isn't you here today. That I hope that isn't, that, that, that's not you here today. That you've become so accustomed to a hard heart. You've become so acquainted with stubbornness. You become so comfortable with sin. You have become so callous in your spirit that you're more satisfied and content with the idea of ruining your lives and not just ruining your life, but ruining the lives of the people around you. That you would rather do that than turn to God. They pick Jonah up. They throw Jonah in the sea. And I don't know about you, but I sit there and I grew up in Sunday school and listening to this Sunday school story. And I've watched cartoons and animated where it kind of goes down and he is sitting there and he just kind of bloop, 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 bloop. And then in the story, and we're going to see this in the coming weeks in the story, as he's just kind of, as he's just kind of falling down there like a, like a rock going down through the water. Here comes that fish. Whomp. Maybe it didn't work like that. Maybe they threw Jonah in the water and Jonah treaded water for a while. Maybe Jonah bobbed up and down. Maybe as Jonah is sitting in the water, here comes a shark. Maybe then here comes a stingray. Maybe here comes a jellyfish and Jonah is sitting there and he's watching all of these dangers around him. Maybe he was in the water for hours. Maybe he was in the water for days. We do not know. It just tells us in verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. It doesn't tell us the timing. So you can just imagine Jonah is in the water. He sees the sea, and then this is what I'm thinking about. He sees the seas calm down. And yet, he's so hard in his heart, even when he sees the hand of God, he doesn't turn to God. Is that you here this morning? I'm not asking you if you're a sinner. I know you're a sinner. I'm not asking you if there's room for you to improve when you walk with the Lord. What I'm asking you is, is are you here this morning with a heart that is more willing to be destroyed by your sin, by your sinfulness, then repent and turning to God. In my mind, when Jonah is thrown over the board, I can't prove it, but this is what I think. They throw him overboard. I don't think he merely sinks like a rock. I mean, he's maybe bobs, maybe tries to grasp for air. I don't know what the case is. But you never see 
him turn to the Lord until next Sunday when we get into chapter 2, and it's not as soon as the fish swallowed him. His hard-heartedness had become so callous, had become so thick, had become so deep, he was not willing to turn to God. <clears throat> and it started off by fearlessness to God, started off by being desensitized to the danger around him, it is shown in the way that he spoke with God and his relationship with God that was godless and not matching his life and his words. But more importantly, it was symptomatic of an unrepentant heart. So let me give you some good news. Let me give you something that you can maybe take home and say, you know, that, that, that's encouraging. When it comes to fear, I want you to know this morning that fear is free. Fear of God does not cost you anything. Fear of God is not something you go to the store that they're out of. Fear of God is not something that you have to manufacture. Fear of God is not something that you have to merit. Fear of God is not something that you have to create. Fear is not, is not something that requires a certain amount of time or knowing the right amount of people. Fear of God is free. Anybody in this room can have a proper fear of God. How do I get a proper fear of God, Spence? By knowing who God is, knowing that God created me, knowing that I've been created by God, and that is enough. Fear of God is free. So there's not a single one of us in this room that can walk out of here and go, you know what? I don't fear God the way that I should. Well, why not? Well, I don't have enough money. Well, I don't have enough education. Well, I don't know the right people or I haven't given them the right time. I don't, have the, I, don't have the, I don't have the right standing in the community. Fear of God is free. Every single one of us can walk out of here and I know that we can struggle with fear of man. I know that we can struggle with fear of a lot of other things, but every single one of us can walk out of here this morning saying, I fear the Lord and it is evident in my life. Not just that fear is free, but then again, repentance is freeing. Repentance is freeing. You have all these layers of sin. You have all this stubbornness. You have all these things you're carrying around with you. I'm not going to do that. And I'm cranky and blah, 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 blah. It's the same thing that unforgiveness does. What unforgiveness will do, it will act as an acid to your soul. Well, I don't, I'm not going to forgive them because what they've done to me. And I'm, I'm just not having anything to do with that. Okay, hold on to that. And it will decay your soul. It will eat at your soul. It is an acid to your soul. Well, they need to come and apologize to me. They need to come and say they're sorry. You can forgive them without them ever saying a word because you understand that what unforgiveness is, it is a poison to your soul. And then when you and I repent, when we repent of our sin, when we repent of our attitude, when we repent of our behavior, when we repent of our heart, we are freed, not because that we are never going to do it again, but because we are freed to say, you know what? I don't have these same burdens, these same baggages, these same things holding me down. And it's not that you repent to the preacher. It's not that you repent to your spouse. It's not that you repent to a priest. It's not that you repent to a friend or a neighbor. You were repenting to God. You were saying, God, I am wrong. God, please forgive me. Not only is fear free, but repentance is freeing. If Jonah had simply repented, the story would be completely different. And yet, as we leave Jonah this morning, he is Shark bait. Ooh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. Because he wasn't willing to repent. So not only is fear free, repentance is freeing. But then this last one, salvation is freedom. Salvation 
is freedom. Am I saying that you will never sin again once you come to the point of salvation? No. Am I saying that it gets easier once you get saved? No. Am I saying that you have all the answers once you get saved? No. What I am telling you this morning is if you are here and you're hearing my voice and you know that you've been created by God, you know that God loved you so much he sent his son to die for you, but you know that you are living in sin of unbelief and you have never turned and trusted Jesus as the Lord of your life. And you know this morning that if you were to die, you will spend an eternity in hell. You can know this morning that when you confess your sins to God, when you believe in who Jesus was and what he has done for you, you can be forgiven of your sins today and the blood of Jesus Christ will cover your sins and you can be saved this morning. And what that salvation does is it gives you freedom. You are no longer now in bondage to the sin. You may sin, you may be guilty of sin, but you're no longer in bondage to the sin. You are now free to live the life that God has created you and put you to live. You now have freedom in Christ because we have freedom in our salvation. We have freedom in our identity. We have freedom in our purpose before the Lord. So where are you at today? Are you free? Are you free to fear God the way that you should? Or are you here this morning living a life that is fearless in the eyes of the Lord. Would you bow your heads?